0: Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. So, what I usually do when I see these terms and conditions is, you know, I I either skim through it or I skip it all together. I skip it all together, and what I do, I scroll down until I see the box right, that says click here to say that you agree to the terms and conditions that have been written down. So that's what I do. I scroll down, I click the box. Without having read and comprehended or or knowing everything that I'm agreeing to, I click the box and I simply click the next button or the submit button, right? And maybe some of you do the same as I do. But thinking about this, you know, if, if we're quite honest with ourselves, I think we do a similar thing with our Christian faith, right? We like what Jesus offers us, His grace, His forgiveness, His love, eternal life. So knowing that we invite Jesus into our lives and we confess Him to be our Lord and Savior without really knowing or even abiding by the terms and conditions that Jesus lays down for all those who will put their faith in Jesus Christ and become his followers. So today, as we continue in our series of Follow Jesus, we follow Jesus to a time when he teaches his disciples and the crowd that is with him of the terms and the conditions that he lays down for all those who will put their faith in him and become his followers. But before we get into the terms and conditions that Jesus lays down for us, I want us to see the setting or the context of the text that our passage is in. You know, as we read kind of the beginning verses of our passage in, in verses 27 and 27, 29, we see Jesus walking along with his disciples, right? And they're going to the town or villages of Caesarea Philippi, and as they're walking along the road, we see that Jesus is asking his disciples two questions. The first question he asks is, who do people say that I am? And so the disciples reply by saying, hey, you know what? Some say that you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. Others say that you're just one of the prophets. And after the disciples reply to his first question, Jesus follows up with a second question. And he asks his disciples, but who do you say that I am? And church, this second question is actually the climax point in the gospel of Mark. Mark. You see, all the chapters, all the verses preceding as well as subsequent to our passage today point to this one question, who is Jesus? And as we read on, we see that Peter replies to Jesus' question, and he says what? He says, Jesus, you are the Christ." And just in case anyone was wondering, Christ is not the last name of Jesus, right? My last name is Choi, so it's Tavis Choi. It's not saying Jesus Christ, Christ being his last name. Rather, Christ is a title, and Christ is the title that means or represents the anointed one and the Messiah, So when Peter says to Jesus, You are the Christ, what Peter is proclaiming here is Jesus, you are the Messiah. And this is pretty much the point that Mark is trying to make in his gospel account. And he makes it obvious from the very beginning of his gospel. In Mark chapter 1, verse 1, this is how Mark starts off the gospel of Mark. He says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So the gospel of Mark, according to Mark, is all about Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And here as Jesus' identity is revealed, so is his purpose. As his identity as the Messiah is revealed, his purpose as the Messiah is also revealed. You see, it says in verse 31 that he began, it says that Jesus and he began to teach them, teach you, his disciples, that the Son of Man, and the Son of Man, again, is just another title for Jesus being the Messiah, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days to rise again. See, this is the first time of three occasions in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus teaches his disciples of what is to happen to him and why he came here on earth. The two other occasions we can find Jesus teaching his disciples the same thing is the next chapter, Mark 9, as well as that following chapter, Mark 10. And in Mark 10, 45, it makes it even clearer of why Jesus came. For Jesus says in Mark ten forty five, he states this. He says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Let me read that again. Jesus says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. For many. Again, Jesus' identity as the Messiah revealed his purpose as the Messiah. And later in our passage, we'll find out that that also goes the same for us. Our identity as followers of Christ will reveal our purpose as followers of Christ. You know, as we read on in verses 32 to 33, You know, as Jesus is teaching his disciples again of what is to happen to him and why he came, we find Peter pulling Jesus aside and rebuking him. Peter does something that none of us would probably imagine doing or at least to Jesus' face. But, you know, at least Peter pulls Jesus aside, right, away from the disciples before he he rebukes him. You know, maybe he's being kind, maybe he's being mindful, right? He's being thoughtful. He's pulling Jesus aside before he rebukes him. But let me ask you a question, church, and I would love for you to share your thoughts in the chat box. You know, I'll give you some time to do that. I'd love to hear, you know, what you think about this question and, and how you feel about it. But why did Peter rebuke Jesus? Why did Peter rebuke Jesus? So go ahead, for those of you that are visiting too, you know, feel free to chime in. And just let us know your thoughts, your inputs. Why did Peter rebuke Jesus? i give you a little bit of time to can maybe write in and see if anyone has any idea or thoughts, maybe some guesses. I'm just going to move on. <laughs> I can think of two reasons. I can think of two reasons why Peter rebuked Jesus. One reason is because Peter had in mind of a conquering messiah rather than the crucified messiah. You know, Peter like many of the Jews had in mind a messiah who would conquer the Romans and deliver the Jews from under the Roman rule, and establish once again a Jewish kingdom here on earth. You see, this was their image, their expectation of the Messiah that was to come. So Jesus stating here that he had to suffer, that he had to be rejected, and that he had to die was in total contradiction to their mold of who Jesus is to be and what he is to do and, you know, this is the reason why many Jews, even today, reject Jesus as their Messiah. They have, again, this image, this expectation that Jesus was the conquering Messiah rather than Jesus coming here on earth to be the crucified Messiah. So that's the first reason. The second reason I can think of of why Peter rebukes Jesus here is this it's because, you know, if Jesus the Messiah is saying, Hey, I must suffer. I must, you know, be rejected and I must die, then most likely Peter and the other disciples would also face the same fate. You see, Peter and the other disciples probably had an idea that because they're followers and disciples of Jesus, that they're going to establish the Jewish kingdom here on earth with him and that they're going to rule and they're going to reign with him at their time. Right? They weren't looking forward to a life of suffering, a life of rejection, or even a life of death. They were probably looking more forward to a life of them prospering, maybe a life of them being praised, and a life of them again ruling and reigning with Jesus in this Jewish kingdom. And hence, we see in Mark chapter 9, the following chapter, right, of, of today's passage, the disciples discussing amongst themselves of who among them is the greatest. So what Jesus said to his disciples, again, went totally against their dream or their thought of the possibility of living a life of glamour and glory here on earth as his disciples. And again, this probably also meant that they were also going to face the same fate as Jesus was. Again, rejection, suffering, and even death. You know, it's like people today who have this false hope or false notion that they'll have health, wealth, prosperity, and a trouble-free life here on earth only if they would come to Christ you know, become his followers and and have just enough faith. And that's what we would call a false gospel. You know, there would definitely come a time, church, when we do experience that, but not now. And we see after Jesus or after Peter rebukes Jesus, we see that Jesus returns the favor by rebuking him. You know, but Jesus doesn't rebuke Peter on the side or in private, but we read that Jesus makes it known, makes the rebuke known to even the other disciples. Now, did Jesus do this to single out Peter? Say, oh, you made a mistake and only you? Was he doing it because Jesus was just being a big meanie? Right? And you'll see emoticon going up right now. And because of kind of copyright reasons, I decided to create my own emoticon of an angry face, right, on MS Paint or whatnot because they didn't want to get in trouble. So if anyone wants to use it, I give you full permission to do it. I can give you the file after, after service, right? So was Jesus, again, rebuking uh, Peter in the presence of other disciples in their view because he was trying to single them out or because Jesus was just being mean? I don't think it's any of those reasons. Right, But I think Jesus was rebuking Peter again in, in the presence and the view of the other disciples because Peter was simply expressing what the other disciples were already feeling and thinking as well. And even as we see the rebuke, it's quite interesting what Jesus says to Peter. Jesus says to Peter in verses 33 in his rebuke, he says, Get behind me, Satan. Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. If I was Peter at that moment, dude, I would be so shocked. I'd be so startled. Say, dude, oh, i dude, I mean, Jesus, you know, you're calling me Satan here. But I don't think that's what Jesus was doing. I don't think Jesus was calling Peter Satan. Rather, Jesus was recognizing that Satan was trying to use Peter without Peter being aware or knowing of it, to again derail and divert Jesus away from the Father's will, in which the Father's will again required Jesus to suffer, to be rejected, and to die. Right? Jesus understood that the plan of redemption required for his suffering. It required for his rejection. It required for his death. And so knowing this, Jesus wasn't going to give into, again, the schemes, the ways, the temptation of Satan trying to divert him from the Father's will by becoming a crossless Messiah. And Satan, knowing that Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection was going to bring about his ultimate defeat and demise, he was doing everything in his power. Everything in anyone that's in Jesus' life, he's gonna do everything to again divert and derail Jesus away from the will of the Father. Does this sound a little bit familiar to you, church? When did when do you when do you remember a time uh, Satan trying to tempt Jesus, right, from following in the plan of redemption that the Father has set before him? And if you said the wilderness, are you thinking about the wilderness found in Matthew 4? You know that's correct. Yeah, we see in Jesus' time in the wilderness when he's being tempted, right? He is fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Satan comes, and he tempts Jesus, again, trying to divert him, trying to derail him away from the Father's will. And if you remember, in Luke's account of Jesus in the wilderness facing these temptations given by Satan, at the end of that, Luke says that Satan left, waiting for an opportune time to come back and try to tempt Jesus again. And we find it here in this passage, in our passage, that Satan is yet again trying to derail Jesus away from the will of the Father. And church, one thing we must be aware of as well is that you know, even in our own life, Satan is doing the same thing. He's trying to find opportune times, to really just take us away from the will of God, to distract us away from the ways of God. He's trying to divert us and derail us from the path that God has set us on. And to be honest, we've all probably fallen into the ways or the schemes of the enemy. And without even us being aware of it, let me give you some examples. You know, the time that that you and I, we spoke unwholesomely to somebody, whether that's directly to them, or whether that's indirectly, behind their backs, we gossip. Or how about times when we kind of join in, right, the speech, like the hate speech, the speech that causes division in the nation, right, towards people they may, that may differ from us politically, whether that's on our social media, you know, feeds or pages, or whether that's in the privacy of our own home. How about times when we, you know, decided to put or build ourselves up while putting others down so that we can be made look, you know, in in a good fashion or or in a good light while putting others down. If any of us, right, have fallen to any of those things and we have in one way or another fallen into the ways of the enemy and we may not even be aware of that, we may not even know that, right? But that's how sly the devil is and if this provides you any consolation, I failed in all of those areas, and not only once or twice, but I failed in it multiple times. You know, I also find it interesting in in Jesus' rebuke to Peter. Not only does Jesus say, hey, get behind me, Satan, but at the end of that verse, verse 33, Jesus says this. He states the reason why he rebukes Peter. And he says, for you, Peter, are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Again, Jesus rebukes Peter for having his mind set on man's interest and not God's. Jesus here points out a contrast. God's interest or man's interest? And a question I feel like we need to ask ourselves today, church, is this. Is my mind set on God's interest or is it set on my own? As Scripture says, have we set our minds on the things of above, the things of the kingdom, the things of God's purpose, or have we set our minds on the things of below, the things of the earth, the things of the world? Have we been following our spirit, or have we been following the spirit of God that resides in us to follow after him, or have we been following our flesh? Have you and I, church, have our hearts been moved by the things that move God? Or have our hearts been moved by the things that the world offers to us? And our answers may reveal to us that who or what we, you and I, have been living for in our lives. So Jesus, seeing this, he takes this moment To teach and to lay down clearly to his disciples as well as to the crowd that is with them of the terms and conditions that he sets for those who would place their faith in him as Lord and Savior and be his followers. And church, this is the main point of our message today today. And again, unlike the terms and conditions that we're used to reading, lists and lists and pages and pages, Jesus states his terms and conditions in one verse. And it's found in verse 34. This is what Jesus, this is what it says. It says, and he, Jesus, summoned the crowd with his disciples, and he said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, And follow me. The terms and conditions that Jesus sets for those who will put their faith in him and be his followers are one, deny yourself, two, pick up your cross, and three, follow me. What does it mean to deny self? To deny self means to give up our autonomy. It's to give up our autonomy so that Christ alone can rule and reign in us. Denying ourselves means to give up self sufficiency and self centeredness to now a life that is Christ sufficient and also Christ centered. Denying self means for us to forego, to let go of our own pursuits, our own dreams, our own desires and will for His alone. Denying self means that we surrender and we give to God, we submit to His control every area and every aspect of our lives to Jesus. How we live How we think, how we speak, how we relate with others, how we raise our families, how we work, who we are, right? What we do in our profession, in our career, every moment of our lives, every breathing moment of our lives is being being given control to Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus is saying here when he's saying, one who wants to put their faith in me and deny and, and." be his follower, needs to deny themselves. I love what Hudson Taylor, prominent missionary of old, has stated. This is what he says. He says, Christ is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And I'll say it again. He says, Christ is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Church, to deny self essentially means to make our lives all about Jesus. Again, as he told Peter, it's to have our minds and our lives set on the interest of God and not our own. How about picking up our cross? What does that mean? You see, the cross in the first century was not an iconic or a sentimental symbol that it is today. People in the first century, they understood that the cross being represented as something that was extremely humiliating and painful, or excruciating. You know, interesting fact is that the word excruciating actually comes from the word crucifixion. And the reason why is because of how painful and unbearable it was for someone to die a death due to crucifixion. You know, according to scholars, you know, Romans, they're the ones who perfected this mode or this means of execution. Scholars also say that the Romans, that, that Romans love to use crucifixion as their favorite tool to execute, you know, great criminals as well as their greatest enemies. Why? Because they say that it produced the maximum torture and humiliation. So in the first century, when they're being told, hey, pick up your cross, they understood the cross as something being very terrifying. So what is Jesus saying here when he says, hey, if you want to put your faith in me and be my follower, you need to pick up your cross. What Jesus is saying here is, it says, as my follower, you must be willing to pay the cost. You and I must be willing to pay the cost. You and I must be willing to be rejected. We must be willing to suffer. We must even be willing to die for our faith, our commitment, and our love to Jesus. That may even even mean being rejected by our friends and family because of our faith in Christ. It might mean that we may suffer discrimination, even hatred, because of our love for Jesus. Jesus. You know, I know of someone from the East Coast, you know, and I share this story with others in the membership class. Um, I, know, I, know, I know of someone who was kicked out of his home by his family because they were Buddhists, you know, they were um, really just, yeah, they, they just followed, you know, Buddhism, and they're really just in, in that. But when he gave his faith to Christ, they're saying, hey, you either renounce your faith in Jesus or you're out of this home. And so he decided, I'm not renouncing my faith. I'm not renouncing my commitment to Christ. So they actually kicked him out of his, of their home. So that's what it is to pick up the cross. How about to follow him? What is Jesus saying here? It's very simple. Jesus is saying that his followers, you and I, we must be willing to do as well as go through what Jesus did. And what he's saying here is that he's simply reinforcing The first two imperatives, by saying, this is how you follow me, by denying yourself and picking up your cross. So again, here Jesus lays down plainly and clearly the terms and conditions for all those who will put their faith in him and for those who will follow after him. Now, Jesus doesn't stop here. He doesn't say, hey, these are the terms and conditions, and he says, okay, that's it. Rather, as we read on in verse 35, we find out that he mentions the purpose of us denying ourselves, picking up our cross, and following him. And this is what Jesus says in verse 35. He says towards the end, for my sake and the gospels. He says, for my sake and the the gospel. So church, at this time, can you turn to your neighbor? Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a friend, a family member that you're with. Maybe it's in the chat box itself. Can you just simply tell each other, for his sake and the gospels? Again, for his sake and the gospels. Church, as followers of Christ, our purpose is to live for his sake and the gospel by denying ourselves, picking up our cross, and following after Him. Remember when I shared with you in the beginning, the identity of Jesus being the Messiah revealed His purpose? Same here. Our identity as children of God, as followers of Christ, our purpose is to deny ourselves, is to pick up our cross, and to follow Jesus for His sake and the gospel's. Jesus is saying for his sake, for the sake of the one who denied himself in the garden of Gethsemane when he cried out to the father and he said, not my will, but your will be done for the sake of the one who died on the cross on Calvary crying out to the fallen, saying, Father, forgive them. Forgive these who have spit on me, who have tortured me, who have mocked me. Forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. As he's hanging on the cross in extreme humiliation and unbearable pain. For the sake of the one who loved us so much that he gave his life for you and me, so that we can be forgiven, we can be redeemed, and have hope of eternal life with him. For his sake, church, should we not be more than willing to abide by his terms and conditions, to live out the purpose that he set for us, to die to self so that Christ can rule and reign in us, right? Right? To truly say, as John the Baptist said, you know what, he must increase, I must decrease. To be honest with you, man, I I look at myself more and I say, dude, I suck. Christ is way better. Christ needs to increase in my life. I want Christ to increase. I need more of Christ in me and less or even none of me. And church, to live our lives saying Christ is far more precious. Christ is far more valuable. Christ is far more satisfying than anything or anyone else in this world. For His sake, to be Christ-centered, to be totally surrendered and submitted to His will, His way, and to who He is. And I'll tell you this, church, living for Jesus is the most satisfying life and the most rewarding life that you and I can ever live here on earth. We know what Jesus says he says, man, come to me and I'll give you life and life to the fullest. We look at the likes of Apostle Paul. We know him. We know of all the, the, the circumstances that he's gone through, all the pain, the suffering. He was even stoned to death at a certain point. He was rejected. You know, He was spit on, and, and people were cursing him. He was in prison, and he was ultimately led to death. But yet, even to the end, he says, man, I consider my life worth nothing but to finish the task that Jesus has given me, which is to testify of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus. Christ, and we don't read that in a way that he's begrudgingly doing that. We don't read it in a way where he's like, oh, I don't have joy and I'm not satisfied. He's saying, no, my life is worth nothing but to live out the will and the purpose that Jesus has called me to. Jesus is calling us to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross, to follow him for his sake because he knows the life that we have in him, nothing in this world can offer you know, I'm reminded of a, of a past time when I was young, right? Me and my friends at one time at church, we used to make fun of this, this, this guy, right? We will just call him Bob, right? We were making fun of Bob, right? And we were making fun of him because he loved Jesus. Like, that's the honest truth. He loved Jesus. He loved, you know, attending Bible study. He did so well in all the Bible competitions that we had at church, Right? So we would pick on him. We would make fun of him. We would point out, say, hey, we'll kind of mess with him. But as I look back to Bob, I can't but admire him. I can't but admire his passion for Jesus, his resilience for Jesus, because I can't remember a moment where that diverted him, where, where he says, you know, I don't want to follow Jesus anymore. I can't remember a moment where that derailed him from his commitment and his love and passion for Jesus. You know, I didn't see him for years, and then I, I met with him. Not like I intentionally met with him. He actually came to the church that I was serving at prior, prior to me coming here to Rooftop a couple of years ago, and he just came. He came, and I caught up with him a little bit, and he shared with me how, you know, he became a youth pastor, you know, preaching every Sunday, teaching his youth students about Jesus and the love of Christ. And as he was sharing that, he actually told me, he's like, you know, Tav, um, I use you in my sermons. <laughs> he says, I-, I let my students know of um, who, you- who you were and-, and what you did to me back then, right? So I was like, oh, okay. That- I don't know if that's good to know, but thank you for sharing. And I apologize for all the things that I've done, right? So church, as a warning, be careful how you treat someone because one day you might just end up in someone's sermon. Not as a good example, but a bad one. (laughs) But, you know, I share this story because, again, you know, I'm reminded of his, again, willingness to pick up the cross. His willingness to be rejected by people around him right, suffering, you know, every Sunday. Maybe not every Sunday. Maybe that's an exaggeration, but a lot of Sundays of people picking on him simply because he loved Jesus, simply because he was passionate about Jesus and his word. And I believe even to this day, he's still loving Jesus, and he's still passionate about Jesus. So again, for Jesus' sake. Jesus also calls us to deny ourselves to pick up our cross to follow after him for the purpose of the gospel as well. He's calling us to deny ourselves, to pick up the cross, so that others may encounter the gospel, so that others may encounter the grace and the love of Christ that you and I have encountered and still experience to this day. For the sake of souls that are in the hands of the enemy, that need to be snatched out of it and placed into the hands of our loving heavenly Father. Church, think of your loved ones. Think of your friends, your family members, your neighbors, your co-workers, your community, people even in our church here at Rooftop, people around the world who, does not, who do not know Jesus Christ, who have not encountered the grace and the love of Christ which comes through the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Church, are their souls not worth it? Is it not worth it for us to deny ourselves, to pick up the cross, to be willing to pay the the, the cost of being a disciple, of being a follower of Jesus for the sake of their souls, for the sake of the gospel? Jesus himself demonstrated how much he loved us, and how valuable each person, each soul was to him by demonstrating it on the cross when he gave his life for you and me. So again, so that we can be forgiven, be redeemed, and have hope of eternity with him. And as his followers, Jesus, is calling us to do the same. He's saying, church, deny yourself like I did. Pick up your cross like I did. For the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the salvation of souls. You know, I think as followers of Christ, we we oftentimes remember John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But then we tend to forget Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, in view of God's mercy, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto him as your spiritual act of worship. Many times we remember Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. But many times we tend to forget the following verse, verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God planned and prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. You know, John Calvin, uh, one of the greatest uh, Protestant reformers, he says this. He says, it is therefore faith alone which justifies. And yet the faith which justifies is not alone. I'll, I'll read that again. It is therefore faith alone which justifies. And yet the faith which justifies is not alone. Meaning the gift of faith which comes from God that saves us also demands for us to live out that faith in our lives. Church, we don't deny ourselves and pick up the cross and follow after Jesus so that we can be saved. Rather, we do those things because we are already saved. You see, the clear distinguishing mark of a genuine believer is a life that follows after Christ. It's a life that is on the path of discipleship, on the path of sanctification, on the path of conforming more into the likeness of Christ, living a life in total obedience and submission to Jesus. In church, it's not a life of perfection, that's impossible but rather it's the life of being constantly perfected into the likeness of Christ. Because according to Philippians chapter 2, Word of God tells us it's God in us, the Holy Spirit in us that causes us to will and to act according to His good purpose. And so church, today we're reminded of the terms and conditions that Jesus lays down for those who will put their faith in him as Lord and Savior and those who would be his followers. So in closing, I exhort you today as followers of Christ because that's who you are, right? If we put our faith in Jesus Christ, then we're also followers. We're also disciples of Jesus. I, I, I leave you with this exhortation. Deny yourself, Pick up your cross, follow after Jesus, and make that choice daily for the sake of Christ and for the sake of the gospel, remembering, church, that Jesus Christ himself, our Lord and Savior, denied himself and took up his cross for your sake and mine. Amen, church? You know, um, maybe as you were listening to today's sermon, um, you felt a little bit convicted, or maybe some of us felt uh, a little bit even discouraged, because as a follower of Christ and those who confess Jesus to be our Lord and Savior... Uh, Maybe we stopped pursuing after Him, you know, His ways and His will, and we started to pursue after our own plans, our own desires and will, and the things of the world. Maybe for a time we've been more self-focused or self-centered rather than Christ-focused and Christ-centered. And maybe, quite frankly, we haven't been abiding to the terms and conditions that Jesus has laid out for all those who have put their faith in him and be his followers. And maybe for some of us we're discouraged because we feel hopeless. We tried, we try and we try only to find ourselves falling short every time. And to that I'd like to encourage you with this. Remember what scripture says The mercies of God, they're new every morning. He is the God of the second chance, the third, the fourth, the hundredth chance. That is our God. There is forgiveness to all those who would come to him. And today can be a new beginning for you. Today you can start again to walk on the path of righteousness. Today you can make that decision, church, to say, I want to deny myself. I want to pick up the cross and I want to follow after Jesus and with that said I also like to remind you church that Jesus never called us to follow him in our own strength because Jesus knows for you and me that's impossible so what does he do he offers us his grace his grace according to 2nd Corinthians that is sufficient for us His grace which we can rely upon each day and each moment of our lives. I I like and I love how one pastor by the name of Alistair Begg, right? I love how he puts it. He says this. He says, the same grace which brings us to faith in him, Jesus, sustains us and makes it possible for us to follow him Don't rely on your own strength. Don't rely on just your efforts. Although we have we do have to do our part, but rely upon the grace of our Lord and Jesus Christ to follow after him. Not only does Jesus offer us his grace, but the Father has also sent us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit resides in every believer. And Jesus says that the Holy Spirit was sent to be our helper and our comforter. And Acts 1A also says the Holy Spirit was sent to empower us for godly living and to live our lives for Jesus and his will. So today, you know, as the worship team leads us in the final song, church, I want to encourage you. Would you spend this time to go to God and be honest with him? Maybe we need to go to God today and say, God, I'm so sorry. I realize today that I've been pursuing after my own desires and my own dreams and my own pursuits, and I've put you aside. Maybe we need to ask God today, God, I I want to be restored. I need to be restored. I need to be renewed, God. I need to be refreshed, Lord. I I, I need you to once again come into my life and, and for me to surrender and submit myself to you. And so as the worship team ministers and leads us into a final song today, I want to encourage you to spend time to pray. Go to God and let him know. Even recommit yourself in your life to him. Again, you know, if you'd like to give, just go on our website, go to the link. You'll see a a link for give, and you can give your offering there. But as, again, the worship team leads us into a time of worship and a final song, I want to encourage you to spend this time to commune with the Father and to pray to Him. Amen, church.